Welcome to the Sunbury Press Book Show on the BookSpeak Network. Sunbury Press publishes print, electronic, and audiobooks under a variety of imprints and categories available worldwide wherever books are sold. And now your host, the founder and CEO of Sunbury Press, Lawrence Knorr. We're at the Christian Baker Farm near historic Boiling Springs, Pennsylvania. My guest today is author Jeffrey Frazier, the author of the Pennsylvania Mountain Landmarks series. Pennsylvania hikers know how rugged our mountain trails can be, but also how alluring they are, often causing us to wonder just what's around the next bend in the path. These volumes offer some answers, providing an armchair journey to some of the most unusual and inaccessible landmarks that can be found in the mountains of Pennsylvania. A native of, a native of central Pennsylvania, Jeffrey R. Frazier has made it his preserving them in his Pennsylvania Fireside Tales series. He continues to explore the state's mountains, drawn by their unique charms, and hoping to discover the secrets they hold. Welcome, Jeffrey. Thank you. So, yes, I know uh, we've taken on your uh, working on those, and I know we've released your first volume of Pennsylvania Mountain Landmarks, and we've got another one soon to be underway. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself and your interest in Pennsylvania history. Yeah, people often ask me uh, how I got interested in, in uh, collecting the legends and folktales of Pennsylvania. And I say, well, it all started with homesickness. I uh, graduated from Penn State in 1967, ended up working in New Jersey, and I missed the mountains. I had a Tom Sawyer boyhood growing up in the mountains, and I thought if I started to go back and roam through the mountains and collect their legends and folktales, it would alleviate my homesickness. And I've been at it ever since. It's just been a, a labor of love. And uh, I've collected so many different legends and folk tales that I've compiled them in my series, Pennsylvania Fireside Tales. But as you mentioned, this new book, Pennsylvania Mountain Landmarks, is, I think, one of my crowning achievements because it contains some of the most unusual and inaccessible landmarks in the Pennsylvania mountains. So I think, like you said, it's going to be of interest to hikers and lovers of history and, and um, mysterious spots. Yeah. So before we get more into the landmarks, I do want to go talk about the folk tales and I know we're going to be uh, reissuing it. But when I hear you talk about Pennsylvania folktales, I have to hearken back to Henry Shoemaker. So, um, you know, Henry Shoemaker, famous for his collecting of legends about Pennsylvania. Henry Shoemaker, a New Yorker born in Manhattan, who um, his grandparents had an estate in the hills of Pennsylvania. And he, he loved to do the same thing you're doing. Um, you know, have you found any connections to Shoemaker? And... Second part of that question is, was how much a shoemaker was bunk? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, that, good question. Excellent question. Most people don't realize how much shoemaker embellished, <clears throat> romanticized, and even invented some of his stories. Uh, like say, he grew up in or summered in McElhatton in Lycoming County. Uh, and uh, collected the legends and folktales that way. And he was actually my inspiration for collecting my stories. When I was in Princeton, I would go to the Firestone Library, and I found his books. And they alleviated my homesickness <clears throat> and brought home right into my lap because I recognized the place names, the family names, and so forth. And so after I had uh, exhausted his stories, I decided to try that on my own. But, uh, you know, we just put a man on the moon, and I was looking for folk tales and legends, and I went back to the Civil War and beyond. And uh, lo and behold, it started then and been successful ever since. But Shoemaker 
I later found out uh, he's been called a cobbler of tales by some, a scoundrel of the Susquehanna by one of your authors, yep. and so on. And uh, there's no doubt about it. And I, I've found it fascinating recently to start investigating some of his stories and trying to find out what the basis of them might have been. And uh, I've, I'm uh, going to include some of those uh, chapters in my Pennsylvania Fireside Tales books that you publish, kind of exposing Shoemaker a little bit in that regard. Yeah. I, uh, I've referred to him as the P.T. Barnum of Pennsylvania history. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> he uh, <laughs> he was uh, quite a character, uh, and I don't want to make this interview all about him, but, uh, yeah. you know, there's such a connection between you and him, and you're sort of carrying the torch and maybe also shining that light onto some of his, uh, let's just say, some of his issues. But uh, we've enjoyed publishing, republishing all of his books, so we've been in the process mm-hmm. of bringing those back. And uh, of course, Guy Graybill, the scoundrel of the Susquehanna. Yeah. Guy, Guy is, uh, yeah, he, he's with some vitriol has been um, bringing out the weaknesses of Henry oh, Shoemaker's oh, character. Yeah. Yeah, I read his book. He, he he mentions me in his book as well, as far as uh, exposing where Shoemaker got his story of the dancing chairs in one of his episodes, yeah. in one of his volumes. You know, so yeah, Guy and I are, are friends. And. Uh, I just wanted you to know and the audience to know that Guy helped me connect with a trove of over 500 letters from various Henry Shoemaker mistresses that, uh, yes. that have to be uh, reviewed and maybe a book made out of them. So those are some, quite some folktales on those letters, I'm sure. Oh, so, yes, I'm sure. <laughs> anyway, Henry Shoemaker, quite the uh, – I don't know what the word would be, but he, he, um, he, uh, he was a playboy. Who, oh, he was. Who liked to no go question. into the mountains. And, you know, the yeah. sad thing is you, you could talk about all his character flaws, but he was a great writer. And I'm sure. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I'm sure you were uh, intrigued by that and motivated by oh, that. Oh, yes. Uh, he, he is a wonderful writer. Yes, very descriptive and words flow so easily. Yes. So, um, anyways, and so are you, Jeffrey, and that's why we're publishing you. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> so, uh, you know, these inaccessible landmarks. Um, what do you think is one of the weirdest ones? Just to tease oh, yeah. the audience uh, a little. Yeah, uh, people ask me what are my favorite ones, and uh, I have to narrow that down to what uh, I call the balanced rocks, the precariously balanced rocks, is the way geologists refer to them, or PBRs. You know, there are stacked boulders that look like, with the slightest touch, they'll just topple over. And uh, the generic names vary by locality. They call them fairy chimneys, tent rocks, hoodoos, and others. But some of my favorites in that regard are Ticklish Rock in Sullivan County. That's going to be in Volume 2 of the Pennsylvania Mountain Landmark Series. It uh, kind of shivers when you touch it. And it looks like a giant ball-peen hammer just uh, precariously balanced on its the end of its handle. And uh, it's just remarkable. And Umbrella Rock in Elk County, that's in Volume 1 of the Pennsylvania Mountain Landmark Series. And then in Volume 2, I'm going to have the balance various balanced rocks from in Huntington County, Dinosaur Rock in Lebanon County, and Tomahawk Rock in Elk County. But uh, places with an aura of mystery also have fascinated me. And that, that would include Hexenkopf Rock, or Witch's Head Rock, in Northampton County. Very interesting uh, tale. That's got that. a lot of superstition surrounding that uh, site. That's going to be in Volume 3. And then there's Vampire Rock in Clinton County. That's mentioned in Volume 1. And Bilger's Rocks in Clearfield County. That's in volume, going to be in Volume 3. That's like stepping back into a prehistoric time period because mm-hmm. of the different crevices and caves and 
winding passageways there. So it, there's some very interesting spots like that. Yeah, so it it sounds like um, people imagine things in these rocks and then invent legends about them, or do you think there's some real history to some of this? Uh, that's the other thing. Uh, that's how the process works, <clears throat> because what I what I do is identify places of interest like that, and the first thing I do is is do research in the history and human interest stories behind these places. And that can be very, very fascinating. You find some of these things in uh, the early histories of the counties they're in and also in old diaries and things. And and the most important part, I feel, is to visit these spots. You know, any good writer wants to go to places they write about to get a feel for the local color and a sense of place and so on. And it really took some effort to find some of these places. They're so remote, so inaccessible. I've had to hire guides to get to some of these places. Mm. Yeah. yeah, so yeah, that was my question. Uh, you know, you, it sounds like you've had to branch off into like off the trail. Uh, maybe some of this is on private land, not public land. Yes, and that's been a problem in some cases. I couldn't get permission in some cases to uh, go onto the private land. They kind of are reluctant to have these sites uh, publicized because they are afraid that it would attract more interlopers. You know. But um, I've been fortunate to be able to get pictures from others who have been to some of these sites. But uh, some of these sites are on uh, high mountain tops, and it took some real strenuous effort to hike up the steep, rocky trails to get to them. And you know, I'm I'm uh, going to be 78, and uh, when I wanted to take a a, a block and tackle kind of an arrangement to uh, go down to get a closer view of Ticklish Rock. My friend and my lady friend that were with me said, no, don't do that. <laughs> Not a good idea for a 78-year-old. So I was content to get a picture from above. But, yeah, there's uh, there's a lot of uh, miles on both my car tires and on my hiking boots mm-hmm. <laughs> to get to these places. Well, I'm glad none of those rocks fell on you. And on that note, <laughs> I'm talking yeah. to Jeffrey Frazier. We'll be right back. Sunbury Press Books brings the reader unique and independent works of fiction and nonfiction. Oxford Southern is our educational and academic imprint. Releases such as Philip Mosley's Telling of the Anthracite, Art a la Carte, a memoir of a wayfaring art teacher by Marianne Bickett, and Mildred Schindler Jansen's autobiography, Surviving Hitler, Evading Stalin. Click on the Oxford Southern link for more at sunburypress.com. I'm back with Jeffrey Frazier, the author of the Pennsylvania Landmarks series. And Jeffrey, we were talking about finding these places off the beaten path sometimes. Um, I'm also wondering, you know, now connecting back to Shoemaker, are there any famous spots that, that Henry wrote about that, that you also found very fascinating? Was there anything that, you know, like you really connected with that was truthful from Shoemaker? Yes, uh, I would say that... Uh one of the places he mentions in uh, his book called El Dorado Found is a place called Lockabar, Lockabar Estate, uh, down by Auntie's Fort in uh, Lycoming County. Lycoming County, I guess that would be. But anyway, uh, he mentions uh, this great estate and so on. And I later found uh, information about uh, this place and how uh, the original owner, when breaking uh, uh, opened a stone wall down in his basement to expand the uh, area down there, found a skeleton in that uh, place. Wow. And uh, it was a, determined to be the skeleton of a uh, British Hessian, Hessian soldier from the Revolutionary War period. That was authenticated in England. 
And I actually went there and uh, uh, got pictures of that dungeon and so forth. And much to my surprise, Shoemaker really never covered that in his stories. I think maybe he, he felt that it would be too uh, sensationalizing of the family and so forth at that time. But, uh, you know, other places that Shoemaker wrote about that uh, I've uh, visited uh, to determine if they actually exist, I have found that they do. I've visited quite a few of the spots he's written about and actually confirmed that, yeah, the stories he wrote about uh, could have a basis in fact, uh, although it's hard to tell sometimes. He was pretty cagey that way as mm -hmm. far as uh, even identifying the location he was writing about. But uh, when you explore the history behind the stories and put them in an historical context, you find that, yeah, probably some kernels of truth buried in what uh, he wrote. But as I said earlier, he was, in, he was uh, a, more of an embellisher, a romanticizer, an inventor. And I thought to myself at one time, if you distill the stories he wrote down to one or two sentences, that's probably what he heard from his informants. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's this rock up in the hills that's leaning on another rock and – it's really cool, and that's what he heard. And then he invented some story about some Indi oh, yeah. Indian does. chief yeah. who balanced it there to impress an Indian princess or something. You know, exactly. that would be Henry Shoemaker. Yeah, that's that's exactly what it would be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so, one of the places he talked about visiting places. He he wrote a story called "The Indian Steps" mm -hmm. over in uh, Tussey Mountain between Pine Grove Mills and uh, Harry's Valley over in that other uh, county. Huntington County, and I've been there, hiked the Indian steps and got some good pictures. I actually wrote a story about that. I'm going to include it in one of my new Pennsylvania Fireside Tales uh, revisions for you uh, and determined that, uh, you know, the idea that the Indians built those steps to raid an Indian village on the other side of the mountain is just purely bunk, but that's the way Shearmaker wrote about it. <laughs> yeah, that wouldn't make a whole lot of sense. Wouldn't, wouldn't it be better just to go around the mountain? <laughs> well, that's true. Yeah, I mean, and the Indians, and when you find out the way they conducted their warfare, it was all a matter of secrecy, you know, and trying to yeah. build those steps on one side of the mountain where the enemy tribe lived on the other side would probably had scouts out all the time. You know, it wasn't going to work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, another story of of shoemakers that uh, that I found intriguing was about the Huntington Stone. Is that something that you include in any of your tales? Standing Stone. Another oh, Standing Stone. Yeah, absolutely. That's uh, that's uh, one of the chapters in uh, my Pennsylvania Mountain Landmarks series. And uh, the Standing Stone. Uh, that's going to be in. Uh, I think that's. Uh, I'm just checking my. Yeah, it's going to be in volume two. Yep, that's the first chapter in my volume two, The Standing Stone. Yeah, and the legend behind that and so on and how that got there and what happened to it. Uh, pretty yeah. fascinating information there. It sounds like there might have been now three different standing stones over history, but uh, I'll let you explain all that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, see, the original standing stone was set up there by the original Indian tribe that lived in that area. and It, was, it held some very important significance to them as far as their religion and their history. They, they engrave symbols upon it and so forth to uh, record that information. And then uh, they always had the idea that if uh, that stone ever fell or went out of their possession, that would mean that they would all be obliterated, wiped out by an enemy tribe, all killed. So they guarded it very, very uh, or, uh, carefully. And uh, they... Uh, when they left the area, the, the uh, uh, history says they took that stone with them. But later on, uh, it was re-erected. I'm not sure if it was by a, 
another tribe or whether it by settlers just to commemorate the spot. But anyway, and that second stone was uh, was uh, broken apart by a bunch of drunken revelers one time. <laughs> and uh, parts of that stone, that second stone, can be seen now still in the uh, Huntington County Museum. I got a picture of it from uh-huh. my volume two. Uh, it has some uh, initials on and so forth and some dates. Pretty interesting little relic. And then the third stone, the current stone, was erected by city fathers later just to uh, mm-hmm. commemorate the history of the, the town and how it got its name. It's, uh, Huntington was really uh, originally called Standing Stone. Right, right. I'm just wondering what would possess a bunch of revelers to bust up a stone. I mean, how, drunk. Yeah, how much whiskey would you need to say, let's go break up that rock? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really. What's what's the point? Well, I tell you what, though. I, I tell you what. What thing? That, one thing that really disturbs me today, going around to these places. I've taken pictures. I've. That's the other thing. You want to visit these spots when the weather is good and there's lots of sunshine to get good pictures. Mm-hmm. But one of the things I found. And this happened to uh, the uh, rocks called the Whalehead Rock, which appears in the cover of my volume one. The graffiti that's on it, and also on dinosaur rock and other rocks. These graffiti artists seem to think that people are more interested in seeing their graffiti than they are appreciating the wonders of nature. Mm-hmm. just infuriates me. And so I've had to Photoshop a lot of these photos to, to return them to their original state for the covers of the books. So, yeah, it's, it's still happening, which is unbelievable. Oh, that's too bad. I call them the spoilers. Yes, yeah. So um, I know we're talking a lot about the Hills region of central PA, but your Pennsylvania Mountain Landmarks series really touches pretty much across the state, if I'm not mistaken. So how many counties, roughly, do you think are involved in this series? You, you, you almost oh, go end-to-end, uh, end, right? Oh, yeah, it does. I mean, from from the Blue Mountains of uh, Berks and uh, Lebanon and Lancaster counties to the uh, Musick Mountains of uh, northeastern Pennsylvania, Carbon counties uh, and uh, counties up there, and then in the northern counties, the Black Forest region of Pennsylvania, Potter, Tioga, Cameron, over to the western counties of uh, Blair, Clearfield, and Huntington, the southern counties of Adams, Fayette, Franklin, and then everything else in between, the, ca- the central counties of Clinton, Lycoming, Center, and so forth. So I've, I've covered in Union County, and I've covered uh, quite an extensive part of the state in all my travels, so you can get I haven't hit all the counties, but I think in, at one time or another, and in the different chapters, all the counties probably are, are mentioned at one time or another. Yeah. See, and that that's a wonderful advertisement because there's something in this series for everybody. And on that note, we'll be right back. We're talking to Jeffrey Fraser. Sunbury Press Books brings you the work of independent authors and serves readers young and old alike. Speckled Egg Press is our juvenile nonfiction imprint. Check out works from authors like Joanne Risso, author of Over the Sea and In the Field, Holly Garner's Letters from Leo, or The Adventures of Solomon Screech Owl, brought to us by Beth Lancione. Click on the Books tab at sunburypress.com and find authors and books you'll want to know. I'm back with Jeffrey Frazier, the author of Pennsylvania Mountain Landmarks and also the Pennsylvania Fireside Tales series. And... uh, I'd like to take a turn into talking about those fireside tales. That's really how, uh, you know, I know as a publisher, I first noticed you and it was out and about 
setting up to sell books by John Moore, by Guy Graybill, maybe the Shoemaker books were republishing, the Herbert Stover books that were republishing. And inevitably, I'd run into these colorful hardcover six by nine uh, books that had your fireside tales in them. And so tell us a little bit about how you got started on that. How many are there? Um, you know, how that how that come to be? Yes. Uh, well, there are eight volumes in that series. And as I indicated earlier, it all started with homesickness. Uh, I had Tom Sawyer boyhood growing up in the mountains of central Pennsylvania, Center County, running in the, running in the mountains, hunting, fishing, exploring wild caves and so forth. Uh, with my friends, and uh, after I graduated from Penn State back in 1967, I ended up working in New Jersey, which, with apologies to New Jersey natives, I still think of as flatlands, liberally interspersed with highways, developments, refineries, and hole-to-wall people, and I was just (laughs) homesick. I just was homesick, and so I found these books by an early collector of Central Pennsylvania Mountain Folktales and Legends, Henry Shoemaker, who we discussed, and his stories brought home right into my lap, and so I decided that after I had read his stories, maybe I could start collecting on my own. It was 1970. We just put a man in the moon, and here I was looking for stories whose origins went back to the Civil War and even earlier than that. And so I didn't think I'd have much chance, but I talked to an early uh, an old antique dealer in Center County who I had known. I started in Center County because I knew more people there, had more time to collect there. And sure enough, he knew exactly what I was looking for. Hmm. And he told me some of the stories, and he referred me to other people. And uh, so I, I uh, got referrals like that subsequently at book signings and through interviews with some of my uh, informants. And also, I was always, always looking for uh, leads in newspapers and magazines and so forth. And one of the most interesting leads I got was through the Lancaster Intelligentia Journal when I lived in Lancaster County. A story about an old lady who lived in Adams County near Gettysburg. And they said she was the last surviving child of a, of a Civil War veteran in Pennsylvania. And, of course, I had to interview her, and uh, subsequently I got uh, her father's story. Uh, he had fought at Gettysburg. And <laughs> you can imagine the uh, interesting information I got from her. Yeah. Anyway, that's a whole new story. But anyway, that, that kind of thing, it just kept going on and on and on. It still does. I'm still getting in- interesting information, and, and I'll including some of the new stories and information in the books that uh, you're going to publish in that series. And in fact, I just uh, stopped at a friend, uh, acquaintance's house the other, just last week. He had some interesting old photos of some of the old gentlemen I had written about who had some of the most interesting encounters with wolf packs and mountain lions that I ever wrote about. Hmm. So now I've got pictures of these old gentlemen, believe it or not. Cool. <laughs> so it just goes on and on and on. It's interesting stuff. It just falls into my lap, it seems like. It just seems like it was meant to be, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It seems like, you know, also Shoemaker always seemed to have another book full of stories and it sounds like that's happening to you where you, you just, have to, is, yes. just have to look and, and it's there yeah and i, I yep. think the other thing to note is these are all kinds of stories they're not just about mountain landmarks the the fireside tales could be just about anything yeah I, I after i collected so many of these stories my first wife said if you're going to write a book you better start writing so then I, I tried to get my arms around the collection and i decided that in order to do that i needed to categorize them I ended up doing that into four separate categories. The first category was the uh, Indian-based episodes. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of Indian wars were fought in Pennsylvania. In fact, early historians what's referred to it as the dark and bloody ground. And uh, 
the Indians also had legends about different uh, landmarks in the Pennsylvania mountains that they passed on to the settlers who passed it on to their children and so forth on, on down the line. So those are the, that was the first category. Also, there were a lot of oral histories and families about how ancestors fought with Indians, sometimes were captured by them, managed to escape. Histories that have never made the history books, much to my delight. And the second category was the stories of uh, the early hunting days in Pennsylvania when there were packs of wolves and mountain lions in the mountains. And stories about how people hunted them sometimes were hunted by them, men and women alike. Then you have your third type of category, and that's the supernatural kinds of uh, stories. Strong dose of that, no matter which legendary domain you explore. And I'm not out to convince anybody there are such things, but there are stories of uh, ghosts and witches and other supernatural events. And then the fourth category is kind of my catch-all, stories of lost treasure, hidden gold, enormous snakes, other exaggerated animals, gypsies, moonshiners. And that sounds like tall tales to most people, That, but that really fascinated me. Yeah. I went from there. Yeah, and uh, I, I think Pennsylvania is so rich with that history. Um, it, it's never a never-ending supply. That's uh, right. That's you know, right. you were talking about the lady who was the last child of a veteran of Gettysburg. Is that what, what it yes. was? So it reminded me of talking to my great uncle, Jason, who was um, – a nephew of two Civil War soldiers, his uncles, and he uh-huh. he was telling me secondhand what what they had told him when he was a boy, uh-huh. which was pretty cool. And you know, I, obviously yeah. those connections now are are lost. There's there's no single generation leap anymore from right. a really old person to Civil War veterans. But that was quite special. So I can imagine that you probably felt that was remarkable to talk to that lady. Yeah, and I've talked to other. Uh people too have had have shared their civil war stories of uh, their ancestors with me uh one gentleman from lewistown talked about his great uncle who was a drummer during this drummer boy during the civil war and i've got that story in my volume eight of the pennsylvania fireside teals books so yeah it's they're still there it's just a matter of uh, keeping your eyes and ears open so to speak yeah so when when did you come out with the first one of those what well, i started writing back in uh 1970 and uh, published the first book back in 1990 i believe it was or 91 and it went from there i just wanted to make enough money in my first book to, do, to publish the second book i wasn't interested in making a lot of money i was just doing this for fun mm-hmm. just as an avocation a hobby wow and now eight books in that series and uh, they'll all be reissued and maybe updated with some new stuff, maybe a couple of tweaks or pictures or whatever new information you have. What plans do you have? Uh, are you out and about talking anywhere, giving any interesting uh, presentations? Yes. Uh, I, uh, I've been trying to get book signings and, and uh, addresses at different places and uh, had a book signing down at Green Ridge Market in Mifflinburg. Got one uh, set up for the Annie Ross Library in Lock Haven. And I'll be giving a talk at uh, Barnes & Noble for State College uh, in, uh, uh, let's see, it's coming up. Uh, what is that? Uh, it's uh, July 16th oh, at 1 o'clock cool. at the Barnes & Noble store in State College. Very good. Yeah, so you're – go ahead. I'll be exploring other uh, possibilities as well. What would you say uh, over the years your best event was as far as turnout and 
maybe level of energy I, I, or interest? One of my best gigs was always uh, the Center County Fair in Center Hall every year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was on the Penn Valley Historical Museum Association board for a number of years. They have a booth there in one of the commercial buildings, an ideal spot at the end of the building. Sooner or later, anybody at the fair comes by and stops, and my book I sell my books there. And it's always a great gig. I always sell anywhere from 70 to 100 books of wow. the Dry Star Tales series. <clears throat> and this year, I'll be selling the volume one of the Pennsylvania Mountain Landmark series as well. But I always look for other avenues as well. Yeah, I always, tell, I always tell authors to go where there aren't other people selling books and where there's a lot of people. And uh, usually that equals pretty good sales. Yep. It's like that's the yeah. case there. Yeah, right, yeah. right. Yep. Awesome. All right. Well, Jeffrey, it's been great talking to you. I know we're just mm-hmm. about out of time. Is there anything else you're working on? Well, right now, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm still collecting uh, information about some of the shoemaker stories. Yeah, it's more or less kind of uh, trying to figure out where he got the ideas for some of them. And it turns out a lot of the stories, they came from uh, uh, European kinds of uh, legends uh-huh. and folk tales. And he just uh, adapted them to Pennsylvania. There was one called Black Alice Dunbar he wrote about, and there was a Scottish, uh, um, I guess, uh, queen or princess, that name, over in Scotland, and he adapted her story to Pennsylvania Indians. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah it's fascinating. Well, he, yeah, I think he used the Lorelei story at one point, and yeah. You know, that yep. might might be an interesting, I think I know we've, we've kind of touched on this uh, in another conversation about someday we need to do a more of a, I don't know what you would call it, it's like a lexicon or a critique or a book about shoemakers' stories and mm-hmm. degree yeah, degree got, of accuracy, yeah. And Yes, yes, that would be great. Uh, I've got quite a few I've been accumulating and, and exploring that way. So, yeah, there's, there's a lot of information behind the stories that could be explored. All right. Well, Jeffrey, it's been great talking to you. I know we'll uh, probably have you back when we're releasing some of these other books uh, down the road. Sounds good, Lawrence. Uh, I've enjoyed this very much. Thank you for listening to the Sunbury Press Book Show on the BookSpeak Network. Check out our website at www.sunburypress.com for our latest releases. Be sure to subscribe to our newsletter to receive special offers and discounts.